Two, one. All right, let's go. We are back. What's up, Football Life? This is Football Life Presents the Audible. I am your host, Randy Hammond, who's also back after a week-long hiatus. I'm joined by my co-host, the man who held it down for me last week in my absence, Matt Bushnell. Matt, how was wrapping up Divisional Week last week without me? It, it was a lot of fun, but you are sorely missed. And I, I will say this. I've hosted a couple of shows before um, as the primary host, and it is hard as hell. And I miss you, Randy. Uh, tip, to the, tip of the cap to you, sir. You do a magnificent job. We had a lot of fun. Special thanks to Corey Decker and Henry Maldonado Jr. You guys were really awesome and great guests. And thank you for jumping on at the end, Randy, to give some very interesting predictions for third place. <laughs> but it was a blast, man. These, these wrap-ups of the division rounds were so much fun. Like, we just – I think mm -hmm. we – both of us. I can speak for both of us. We had a lot of fun on that. Yes, uh, I, it gives you a chance to really look at every team uh, and examine how they were, maybe some of the acquisitions that they had and some of the things they did, how, might, how they might change in 2020. So doing that exercise really makes you familiar with the, the teams and all their rosters. So I like doing that exercise. It took us eight weeks, obviously. There's eight divisions, so really glad we got to do that. I hope the audience enjoyed our breakdowns. I hope we didn't disappoint you with your team prediction, but uh, it is what it is. At the end of the day, we're just two jerk-offs who talk uh, on a podcast every week. We could, we're going to be prob probably wrong on a lot of that stuff, so don't take it as <laughs> into the fate of heart. Um, but Matt, we have a good show point for this week, uh, if you like coronavirus, but because <laughs> you got a lot to talk about uh, as far as the NFL and college football is concerned. A lot of news surrounding um, COVID-19 and how it's affecting football. So we are getting close. The season is right around the corner. Um, and then we're have a, we have Hard Knocks kicking off tonight. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And then we'll have our own little ranking going on a little later. So that'll be fun. Uh, but let's kick it off here. Uh, yesterday marked one month until the kickoff of the NFL season in the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans um, on September 10th. I'm not convinced it's going to happen, but on the schedule, it still stands. We are a month away from kickoff, and uh, we are just five days now past the opt-out deadline for players. And where it stands now, Matt, is that we had 67 players total opt-out, which I'm kind of surprised. I figured that number would be a little bit higher, um, but that deadline has come and gone. What did you make of that? Um, you know, any notable names that you saw? You know, I don't think that there are any names. Um, the cornerback for Buffalo, Tredavious White, kind of hinted that he may have decided to opt out, but ultimately he decided to play. Um, initially, I thought that they may try to prohibit the players from opting out for any reasons, but I, I think you have an update on that, which I was not aware of, which uh, personally I was happy to see. But really not any spectacular big names. Eddie Goldman for the Bears, that one, he does have severe asthma, so that hurts the Bears defensively on that interior line. So that will definitely impact them this year. But other than that, you know, no names really stood out to me. But, you know, if they opted out, I completely understand. Yeah, I mean, no judgment for me, everyone. You know, do what's best for you and your family at the end of the day here. Um, there were eight Patriots that opted out. None of the – no new names really than what we've uh, talked about before. The Chiefs lost two offensive line players. Um, the Bills – lost Star Latule, but not Tredavious White. But I think the biggest name, uh, you know, the Jets didn't have him at all last year after his week one injury, but C.J. Mosley uh, was going to have a big impact for the Jets. He decided to opt out of the 2020 season. He's a four-time Pro Bowler that the Jets gave a five-year, $85 million contract to. 
Uh, this is the second year that they're, they're not going to get a lot out of him. So I think that's going to hurt the Jets quite a bit. Um, the Giants lost Nate Solder, which I would argue is an addition by subtraction because of his struggles. Um, <laughs> gives the rookie the chance to jump right in the left tackle and play right away. So I, I don't hate that move. move um, corner Sam Beal also opted out, but he hasn't really played much anyway. Um, you know, you have some fringe receiver guys, you know, opting out here and there. Xavier Howard from the Dolphins. Um, I saw something about him getting put on a list today, which we'll talk about in a second. Tua uh, Tagovailoa from the Dolphins is going to miss two wide receivers because of the opt-out, which Alan Hearns and Albert Wilson. Um, not Demonte Parker, but, you know, depth at wide receiver is important for a young quarterback. But you said Eddie Goldman is a big one. Um, I was surprised because there was a rumor about our boy Russell Wilson potentially opting out. At the end of the day here, I think that these guys want to play, right? Yeah, I, the players are always going to want to play. It's the routine. It's being what you're familiar with. I still think there are some dangers and some pitfalls here for a lot of these guys. But, you know, if, if you can play and if you feel comfortable enough with how your team is doing things, I'm okay with it. I, I think Russell Wilson with the new baby, that's kind of scary. Nate Solder, who you talked about, cancer survivor. His kid had cancer as well. Mm -hmm. So that was just a risk too high to pay for him. You know, th there was no reward big enough for him at the end of the day to make this worth it. So I think what we see now is a lot more asymptomatic cases. And that's what we hope for is that, you know, no mm -hmm. one severely gets affected. But yeah. as a player, I mean, you just want to play. You want to go out there and play. And money for some of these guys is too big to pass up. Yeah, I'm surprised more veteran guys didn't decide that it wasn't worth it, uh, especially if they're good in a, in a good financial situation. But ultimately, your, the careers for NFL players aren't that long. So maybe there are more risks of playing than, than the coronavirus. I think maybe that they could argue you know, a CT or some long-lasting effects are more dangerous, and they dealt with that already in their career to this point. Um, but if they did not opt out, the NFL created another thing called the uh, COVID-19 exempt list or the reserved coronavirus list, um, which is specifically designed for a player who either tests positive for the coronavirus or has been in close contact with someone who has been infected, uh, essentially meaning that they would have to quarantine or have to, you know, just be isolated until they realize that they don't have it or anything like that. Uh, Matt Stafford was initially put on this list. Gardner Minshew was put on this list. Xavier Howard, as I mentioned earlier, was put on this list. The, the, the rules for this are kind of uh, unclear. Um, Teams do not have to disclose if players have been tested have been tested positive or not. So this could be used sort of as a cop-out situation for the NFL, I feel like. Um, and in Matt Stafford's situation, he did test positive, but they determined that that was false positive. So that is an issue to me already, <laughs> not even in the season yet. Um, but there's not really um, great definitions of this so just just for example here i just want to make it clear to the audience if you were put on this list um in order to be taken off of the list you have to have 10 days passed since your first uh symptoms have appeared you have to have at least 72 hours since your systems have last occurred uh, your return has to be approved by the team physician uh and local regulations and requirements have to be satisfied so you know this could be a state by state team by team basis here uh did you see catch this list at all and you think that the nfl might use this list as a cop-out for certain things I, I did, when you mentioned the list to me earlier today and I looked it up, this screams like a lot of abuse can happen on here when you're talking about a team official. Like, it's just screaming Miami Marlins to me right now. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, God, this can't be good. 
the, the issue I have with this, when you talk about the roster size of the NFL, it is just too damn large. You're talking, you know, 54 players, I think 47 on the active roster. It is going to get a lot larger with the amount of players coming in and out, especially with this list. Hey, you know, I need to move a player here. Do we really know if he tested positive or do they just want to have some extra roster space? Mm-hmm. So I think this thing's going to be manipulated. I think teams are going to use it to skirt some of the rules. And I'm not sure if these team physicians aren't going to receive a little uh, kickback for uh, saying a player's okay to go. Yeah, I think that already happened with the Lions. <laughs> I think that you might have already seen that with Matt Stafford in Detroit. Uh, this is very much a uh, hockey upper body injury to me where <laughs> it's like they're put on a list, they're hurt, but we're not telling you what it is. And if it's this uh, this virus that is heavily contagious to all that <laughs> surrounds them, we're not going to tell you if they actually had it or not. Um, what I thought was interesting in their rules is that they, they – they also said it might pass for players to opt out to get the full salary that they're, they got on 350K if they you know were at risk. They got 150K if they just didn't feel comfortable. But they can also opt out in the season if some like a family member or a loved one got the coronavirus. So there is an opt-out situation for players still. Um, you know, that sort of thing could be still made up by players. Like if, they, if they're a couple weeks in, they're like, all right, well, I have an aunt who got it. You know, I don't want to play anymore. So I could see that being manipulated as well. But – Kind of, I don't know if you talked about this last week, but kind of shitty on the NFL to put a deadline so early into the summer, right? I feel like you got to give the players more time to think about this. Yeah, last week we touched on it a little bit, and and it did feel kind of like I don't feel like there should be a mandate on when you can opt out. I understand why they did it though. Teams Mm -hmm. have to prepare. You have to know who's on your who's able to go like I would hate for a game to come on Sunday and then Saturday Patrick Mahomes decides you know what guys I can't play this season I'm out you know fantasy owners are going to get screwed on that and my Super Bowl champion pick is you know just wad that up and throw it in the garbage because they're they're not winning the Super Bowl and they're definitely not going 16-0 without Mahomes I, I like that they came out with okay with these certain conditions you can come back or you know you can opt out and leon already taking digs leon tompkins <laughs> does the balls life podcast a step back wonderful podcast but him and i are like bitter rivals now because now he's talking crap about trubisky he can pull a cespedes <laughs> and for people who are not familiar with cespedes he was caught dancing with a very attractive woman in a dance club and then he decided to opt out a week later you yeah. This right here, I'm okay with initially. I I think it's okay. I think you're able to work with it. But I swear to God, if Mitch Trubisky pulls a cesspitus, Randy, the the rant that I will go on the next on that podcast is going to be epic. I I don't want to hear that shit. I I just want Mitch to concentrate on football. (sighs) But that that feels more like a, a wide receiver type move than a quarterback move, but uh, I won't be surprised if that happens during the season. Uh, I expect that to be like a diva receiver move for sure. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's a couple guys I have in mind for that. Like it just screams, and I'm sorry, it it really does scream OBJ. Like it does. I agree. It totally does. <laughs> I mean, it's just something that I could just see him doing. You know, it it, it wouldn't be like a dance club. It'd be on his personal yacht. 
it screams Michael Thomas to me too. He has a lot of evil receiver in him as well. <laughs> I think I could totally see that happening. <laughs> Absolutely. Or you know, it wouldn't surprise me if it's a rookie wide receiver like C.D. Lamb or. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Uh, maybe Henry Ruggs in Vegas might might get a little out of control out there. Um, speaking of Vegas, that's a transition for the folks at home. Uh, John Gruden kind of took an interesting tactic here because. I mean, NFL coaches, regardless of how they feel about the pandemic and the shutdowns and how serious everyone is taking this, they want their players to take this seriously so they can have everyone available and they can have a season. So John Gruden, I don't know if you saw this, decided that he was going to take matters into his own hands here. And in a virtual team meeting, um, had one of his assistant coaches um, tell the team that he was not there because he was in the hospital because he was diagnosed with the coronavirus. Uh, when the team uh, was taken aback and showed concern, uh, here comes Chucky onto the video screen saying, gotcha, I don't actually have the coronavirus. I just want you to realize that this could happen to any of us at any given time. Um, I wish I could go back a week and just, if I could have predicted that a coach was going to do this, absolutely would have bet on John Gruden because it's just very much a John Gruden thing. Um, I don't know. Did you see the story? And is this an effective tactic? Do you think these players actually took this seriously after this? If it was anyone else besides Gruden, I think it's treading on very dangerous water. But I think Gruden is such a huge personality and the players probably just kind of laughed about it because everyone knows Gruden. Like, you know, he's the guy on Monday Night Football and, you know, he coached the Raiders, Chucky and everything. I'd say for the Raiders, it probably came off more as a joke than it should have been. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it works for them. Now, if this was Adam Gase with the Jets, most of the players already hate his ass so much that yeah. they, if he had COVID, mm-hmm. they'd probably just throw buckets of acid on him. I mean, I don't think it would work very well. But Gruden, I, I think it works. I think it's doable for Gruden. I buy it. I don't hate this move. I wouldn't do it again, though. Yeah, it's very Gruden. I also kind of feel like it's in poor taste a little bit because we saw Sean Payton already say that he was, had the coronavirus earlier in the year. And Doug Peterson literally just said he had the coronavirus just last week. Um, there are literal coaches in the league that you coach with and against that have this. And you're kind of making light of the situation. Um, I understand that uh, it might not be super effective for certain people and it might not impact people the same way. But I think, you know, you kind of have to be Cognitive, like cognizant of like how this is affecting people, whether it is they are getting it or they are affected financially. Or I think you should should have probably taken a more serious stance on this if you actually had it. Say like Doug Peterson actually did this because he has it. I think it might have been more effective. <laughs> I think the Eagles would have been like, all right, shit, coach has it. You know, like we got to make sure we're doing the right thing here. We want to have a season. Or like Bill Belichick walks in. I think it's just understood he's not going to put up with your shit. <laughs> I don't know why you have to go to these lengths to get your team to buy into this sort of thing. I, I think that in the last five months, if you haven't learned anything about this, that is kind of on you at this point. Um, very much Gruden though. Um, and I guess this is now where I'm going to ask is, you know, our coaches, you know, and players and the NFL, do you think this is actually going to work? I feel like I was losing optimism by the day, but I kind of feel like they're at least going to try. I am a steadfast believer in that follow the money. It's going to take you wherever you need to look or wherever you need to go. 
I would be shocked if this season doesn't start. I don't know if it will finish because, I mean, that's just too far in advance with winter and flu season, you know, pairing up with this. And I, I don't necessarily believe a vaccine's going to be ready that soon. But with the TV contracts, the amount of money at stake here, I just, I have a hard time believing that come September 10th, there's not a kickoff between the Chiefs and Texans. And then again on the 13th with Sunday games, I just, you know, in my heart of hearts, I really think that the owners, the players, everyone wants a season at this point. You know, they're going to do it for the fans. I don't think there'll be fans in attendance, which is going to make it really weird. Football without fans, I, I don't know. I, I think you have to be careful with the amount of piped-in noise you're going to have because that could definitely play a distinct advantage, you know, if you're a home team and you're playing on defense, you know, when do you shut it off? Which makes it even more difficult because then you'd still have that crowd noise, and now we're not going to have that crowd noise when you have to shut it off. So I, I think it'll be interesting. I'm not sure if I'm – Going to miss fans or not, I don't think it's going to play as well as it does with baseball. But football's football. You know, I'm going to watch it. Hopefully they can get the season going and keep this under control. You know, I think that they have a lot to learn from the sports that are already going on, right? I think the NBA has really made a, a nice adjustment to not having any fans. Um, you know, watching the games at first was kind of weird, but I think that they've really done a nice job of playing those games and not missing the atmosphere of the fans bring hockey, I think is still really weird without fans. Um, I think hockey, the, the atmosphere of the home team really adds to the game. Baseball, I think is the most natural because you can have a game uh, at one o'clock on a Wednesday and the stadium's half empty already anyway, that with no fans, um, you're kind of like, all right, well, you hear the sounds of the game, you hear the ball come off the bat. It's not the end of the world. Football, and you're a football guy like me, where we can watch game tape, we can watch film. We watch that on silent and anyway. I don't need the fans for me to enjoy football at the end of the day. I watch every game on Sundays now, especially post-OBJ on the Giants on Red Zone. So I typically don't watch it with the audio on. I typically just watch it for fantasy purposes. Um, so I don't need um, – fans per se I, I i understand like they add a lot to the game when you're watching like a thursday night game or a monday night game that's the only game on um but to me i can live without fans i just want to watch the game I, I, they, there are things they can do like the the stadium sounds where they put up the defense or let's get loud like those are natural sounds that the stadium can still have to make it feel like a normal game not too worried about that part of it i just don't know what happens when you have a marlin situation in the nfl I, to MLB's credit, they've had two teams that have not been disciplined and they have adjusted schedules and they have made it work. And this is, you know, a criticism of them that they didn't, you know, have the greatest setup, but at the same time, they were dedicated to making it work. What is the NFL going to do? Are they, are they going to be willing to move a schedule around? Are they going to be willing to move from the team here to there? Are they, do they even have that sort of thing in place for if that happens? I don't believe the NFL is ready for that. Uh, but, God, they have a month, and I hope that they have something prepared. Yeah, and I, I think Leon asked a very important question. As, you know, he asks, is everyone coaching from upstairs? And the answer is no. Coaches yeah. can make that decision whether they want to be on the sideline or up in the booth. Still, um, the NFL hasn't mandated anything to that degree. For, for me, you know, if you're going to cancel a game – 
I don't know where you make it up at because it's not like you can schedule a double header. So you have to find somewhere in the schedule where both teams have a bye. Then, you know, you're flip-flopping a lot of things where theoretically, if you're going to cancel a game, hopefully it's division rivals or it's a team that has the same bye week as you. Yeah. There, there are protocols in there where they can have the season back up a week or, you know, flip-flop parts of the schedule, but that's just too much, man. It's That's the part that concerns me as well. If you have to cancel a game for, you know, one Sunday or Monday night or, you know, God forbid if it's Sunday night football, what do you do then? Or Monday night yeah. football, you know, that messes up a team's itinerary to the umpteenth degree. So I, I think it's going to be really tricky, but I'm interested to see how they let this play out. Yeah. Or they could, you know, play on Saturdays, um, which, you know, I'm just killing it with the transitions today, Matt, because we are typically an NFL podcast, but today we have to talk a little bit about college football because it is a sad day for football. Uh, two of the major power five conferences have decided to cancel or postpone their seasons. Uh, the big 10 voted uh, a majority, I believe it was 12 to two, in favor of canceling the season and the Pac-12 probably already had this decision made, just waited for another conference to announce it, but that's two of the five uh, and big 10 pretty big one here. Um, you know, I, I understand why, and it's probably a lot of liability issues at the end of the day here. Um, but I'm still sad knowing that we're going to have less football this year by a lot. And, you know, I have a feeling this isn't over with yet. Uh, what are your initial thoughts from uh, those two conferences canceling their, their seasons? I just think it's the right decision when you have college players who don't get paid. Um, the medical insurance is a big ordeal. And you're talking about 80, 90 players on just, you know, on the football team itself. It's just a huge risk to take that you don't have to take for a student athlete. It's unfortunate. I honestly believe, I, I think the Big East will cancel their season as well. Um, we already seen UMass and I forgot the other independent that canceled their season. But I, I don't remember, but we also had the Mountain West Conference and the MAC Conference uh, also cancel their seasons. So it's not just individual programs. It's also, you know, lower level leagues. Yeah. And then the SEC seems like they want to push forward. What do you do if you're the SEC? You know, because if, if you play football, obviously you're not going to have the college football playoff, which is really mm -hmm. what gets fans all juiced up anyway. So, and you really can't declare the SEC champion the national champion because obviously they're not playing everybody. And then if there's spring football, are they going to do a college football playoff in the spring? I mean, logistically, it's just such a nightmare that I honestly believe this season in its entirety should be punted. Just wait till next year. We all love college football, and this is a terrible situation, but putting students at risk because that's what we have to keep in mind. They're students first. Let them be safe. Let's not put football and college revenue above the players. Yeah, it's, it's a, a difficult thing because, you know, you see campuses and schools all over the country opening and kind of having protocols in place for the semester itself, but it's probably easier to have safety guidelines in place when you're not hitting each other and sweating on each other uh, once a week and practicing every day like that. Um, so I don't fault anyone for that. What I am questioning is that the Big T Big Ten and Pac-12 both said that they are looking at a potential spring season. Um, okay, cool. Like, yeah, I understand wanting to still try to get a season in. The first thing I think of is what about the next season then? 
if you have a season that starts in March and goes until June, do you expect these players to turn around and be ready again by September? Because that's two seasons in a calendar year. If you claim that you care about player safety, that is ass backwards thinking to me. And you do not care about player safety at that point. And if you're a, a senior or you're a, a, you know, a, a big-time draft prospect, you're not playing in that season. You're just not. Because the NFL draft is still in April. And if you're a guy who's even a lower-level prospect who is big-time and you get hurt, and then you're going to miss that season and the next season, that's two years of your eligibility gone because of an injury that could have been prevented. So for me, I love football. I love college football. It doesn't seem like it's worth it to me. And I would love it to, if it can't happen this year, if they can't figure out something for this year, just wait until next year. Cause I think a lot more harm will be done than good by playing a spring season. Um, what are your thoughts on a spring season? Yeah, I, I think just to your point, and even like with Jacob, you know, he's asking, do we think we see a lot of guys opting for the draft quicker? I think if you're a fringe prospect, I mean, if you're a first-round guy after last season, you're not playing this year. If they're yeah. saying we're not playing football until spring, there's no chance in hell. First, second round, third group, third round draft status, you are not playing. That's all there is to it. Fourth and fifth rounders, I think that's where it starts getting a little bit sketchy. But – for me, I just don't see any benefit in doing this. What is the best possible outcome that you're going to get out of this? Sophomores and freshmen playing 12 games or 10 games from January, February, March, April. And then you have to turn around and play again starting in August. I don't know what it's like to play in the NFL. I do know what it's like to play in college. My body was a wreck for about five and a half, six months afterwards. And I still don't feel right to this day. I mean, I have a back injury at my fingers. I, I had to move to Arizona because my fingers have arthritis so bad I couldn't move them in the winter. So you're asking kids, freshmen and sophomores, to put their safety at risk where they could suffer career-ending injuries just by playing too much and not having that time to recover. There's got to be rest there. Your body cannot handle that type of impact consistently for so you know, for that amount of time. And Randy, to your point, absolutely. It, to me, it's a money grab at that point. If you're saying we care about the student athlete, but we're going to have spring football, but we'll also come back for the fall. You don't give a shit about the students. You just care about your pocketbooks and you want that money. And it just shows how evil and how corrupt the NCAA really is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think the players are kind of catching on and want to do something about it because arguably the most hyped quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck is now the face of a movement. And it's called the We Want to Play movement, which is a players association goal led by Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Fields, and a number of other Power Five conference players. And it is uh, the hashtag We Are United and the hashtag We Want to Play. And essentially is they do want to play, but they want to, be, they want to play with their health and safety in mind here. Um, so I'll just read off the flyer that Trevor Lawrence posted the other day, which is we all want to play football this season, but we want you to establish universal mandated health and safety procedures and protocols to protect college athletes against COVID-19 among co all conferences throughout the NCAA. Give players the opportunity to opt out and respect their decision, which I think is a big one. Guarantee eligibility whether a player chooses to play the season or not, and use our voices to establish open communication and trust between players and officials, ultimately create a college football players association. I don't know if this is possible. I don't know 
if this is something like a union that can happen like in the pros, but at the end of the day, this is free labor being done for non, uh, for amateur athletes that play at, you know, the second highest level possible. Um, I respect the hell out of Trevor Lawrence for doing this. And I just want to read you his argument for why, you know, that they should play. And this is not an argument for the spring, but for now for to play in the, in the fall. And he says, you know, people are just as much at risk, if not more, if we don't play. Uh, players will be sent home to their communities where social distancing is highly unlikely and medical care and expenses will be placed in, uh, on the families if they were to contact, uh, contract COVID-19, not to mention the players coming from situations that are not good for them and their future and having to go back to that. Football is a safe haven for so many people. I understand his argument and I respect him for getting his name out there as the leader in this because at the end of the day, I think he has a point. Uh, I think that you know, if they are at school, they will be taking the proper precautions where we've seen in the last six months, people are not taking this thing seriously. So I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, a players association, you know, them wanting to play. Can this actually happen? If they were to form a players union, that'd be the end of the NCAA, which I'm all for. So I hope the players do form some sort of union because they should have certain protections in there. I know they get the scholarship and no one will demean the value of a, of, of a scholarship. It's incredibly important. I will say, however, let's take a look at college in general. Um, this, I, I know the student body of, well, let, let's use University of Central Florida because our good friend Vince Mercandetti over in Baseball Life, Dong City, always talks about how large that student population is. I mean, they're top 20 in the, in the nation. So let's just assume 20,000 students attend a university, okay? Because I imagine that they're going to send students back to classes and all this in this situation. Are these players going to have separate classes? What dorm rooms? You know, are the dorm rooms going to be sanitized just like the locker room? I mean, they are at the same amount of risk as the general public when you start talking about reopening universities and then you're talking about traveling. Are the players going to take buses to away games? Are they going to fly the airports, the food staff? Like, there's so many things here. While I commend him for putting his voice to it, you still, the players are still going to go home. You know, fall break. Thanksgiving break, holiday break, you know, and then for the college football season, like are the players going to stay in their dorm rooms during the breaks? Are the universities going to staff food service for those holiday breaks? Like, I don't know if this is entirely doable because the cost of sanitizing every single thing that you're going to have to do to protect these players. And I, I will say this, it's more telling that the universities are not canceling live classes and going fully automated with online classes because they really don't care at all about the student body. If you're saying, yeah, come back to class, you have to come back and attend classes. Those dorm rooms aren't getting sanitized. And then you don't know what the players are doing when they're not with you because there is a time limit. If people think that, oh, well, you, you know, you're going to be around football all the time. No, I mean, you'll have all this stuff going on, but you still have your off days. Coaches can still only work with you for 25 hours per week. I mean, there's a lot of pitfalls to this that I don't think that they fully see at the forefront. I, I think there's more issues with having a season and having students attend classes in person. 
I think that those are all fair concerns. Um, I think that's totally on each conference and each school to provide that sort of, uh, you know, provide that sort of protocol or those guidelines. I mean, you have to be prepared for this. You have to have the proper sanitation crews. You have to have proper, you know, health and cleaning guidelines in place. You have to make sure they have the equipment that they need. You have to put in a quarantine rule, probably. I know that a couple of universities around me, students are already arriving so they can quarantine for two weeks before they even go to a class. Um, you know, if, if the school and the conference can work together and put, put together a plan to make sure that these players are doing the right things, then I'm with you on that. But I am not, I look like you or I'm not confident that they are going to be, you know, safe in all of this. So I think there's another aspect to this that we're not talking about that's beyond the coronavirus because eventually, I have no idea when, but eventually this will get put, put past us, um, hopefully soon, I have no idea. Um, but the, there's a big debate, there's been a debate forever on whether to pay players or not. And I think that if they created a union or a players association, as they call it, they are going to ask to get paid because essentially they are, you know, free labor. The NCAA makes billions of dollars every single season and the players, while they do get free tuition, most of them, they don't see a dime of that money. And a lot of that money is just coming from their, you know, their, what their abilities are at the end of the day. So um, is the future of the sport kind of separating from the NCAA and actually getting the NCAA, if they don't separate from the NCAA, is it going to eventually lead them to getting a paycheck here? Because I think the players are getting fed up here. And I think this was leading to eventually. I, I would have a hard time seeing or believing that it's not with what you, you can't look at the amount of money that your school is bringing in. And I know title nine for a lot of the good that it's done. It, it's not applied well enough to accommodate every sport. And essentially for title nine, it's like it, men's sports have to be equally funded as women's sports. Well, what kind of, women's sport outside of college basketball even remotely brings in the amount of revenue football does and then some of that money is not even going back to the you know the teams and the athletic departments mm -hmm. college coaches salaries keep on going up you know you see nick saban making close to eight nine million a year you know a lot of these coaches are making really big time money and i think the football as a whole is getting tired of not only the coaches having to worry about university rules and NCAA rules when it comes to amateurism, that it, it's time that something changes. Either you let them make money off their likenesses in totality, which I think they have, but even then some players aren't going to see a piece of that pie. And then you start losing the lower level guys who may not want to play anymore. I, I don't see how the NCAA can function. It feels like, Back in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, it worked for what it was. But now we're in the 2020s, and I don't think the NCAA works for the players. I, I think you're going to see players unite, and they're going to want better treatment. You know, They, they want to go be able to have meals that they don't have to worry about when I come home from a game. Am I going to eat ramen noodles or you know, a bag of fruit snacks? I mean, it's just unfair to the players. And I think it's about time the NCAA does die. Yeah, I'm not sure how drastic the changes are going to be, but I think at the very least, and I talked about this with you before the show, that decide, this idea that the players can't make money off of their likeness is just insanity to me because 
they, when you are your own person, you can, this is a free country. You can kind of do whatever you want at the end of the day. Right. Like I know when you, you work for an employer, you can't say certain things. You can't do certain things. I understand that when you sign a contract. Um, but at the end of the day here, I mean, I, I'm not trying to diminish the value of a free education. I, getting a scholarship is very important and not having any student loan debt when you leave school. I just, I don't know what that's like. I'm going to be paying student loan debt until the day I die. So I personally will never understand what that feeling is. I'm sure it feels amazing. Um, <laughs> but I also don't bring in revenue. I didn't bring in revenue when I was a college student and I didn't make people watch me every weekend to play something that, you know, is for entertainment purposes. You got to let these guys make money off of their likeness. I think that's the fairest way because that way everyone kind of gets paid what they're worth. If you're the top 10 pick in the NFL draft, you are probably going to get more money than the guy who is a sixth round pick. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's probably fair. And that might help even out the recruitment where if you're a guy who is the third corner on LSU and you're not making as much money as you could, if you went to TCU, maybe TCU gets that corner and then he makes more money off of that because he's the best player on the team. And maybe that boosts his value. Maybe he becomes a third round pick instead of a sixth round pick. Maybe that evens things out in the recruitment pool. I don't know, but it just never made sense to me to not let these guys make money off of their likeness. If me and you start making it big in this podcast world and we decided we didn't want to start going and signing autographs for people and charging $5 a piece, who's to say? Is Henry going to say, no, I'm not letting you guys make money off of that? Well, guess what, Henry? We're leaving and we're going to go do what the hell we want. So I think that that's what we're heading towards here. I think the players are kind of sick of it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, let them make money off their likeness and give us back our damn video game, right, Matt? I know you really want NCAA football back. One of the best football games ever made, NCAA football. I used to love that game, and it was so well integrated with Madden, too. Damn it, NCAA, you just had to ruin it for us. <laughs> NCAA, FIFA, very corrupt sports organizations that ruin our fun. Um, <laughs> we have uh, the debut of another of a show today, a football-related show that I enjoy every year, and it's going to be an interesting season. But Hard Knocks, HBO's Hard Knocks is back. Uh, they have two teams for the first time ever, which is the two Los Angeles teams. It is the Los Angeles Rams. They were on the show back in 2016. And the Los Angeles Chargers, who are on the show for the very first time. Um, you know, training camp is a, very different this year. No, no preseason games. Very interested to see how they handle this. Uh, just give me your initial takeaways from Hard Knocks for this year. I think it's probably the most important and intriguing seasons of Hard Knocks ever. And I would be shocked if it's not one of the highest rated hard knocks ever, because like you said, without preseason football, people want their football fix. Like Randy, we're supposed to be watching preseason games. We're supposed to be breaking down rosters. We're supposed to be talking about, man, this guy looks really good on special teams. Is he, a, is, is he on the bubble or is he on the roster? We don't have that. So maybe, 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 maybe the two Los Angeles teams can give us a glimpse into how these coaches are going to decide their rosters, which is very important. And I, I'm a fan. I haven't probably watched as much Hard Knocks as you have, but I, I, I have visions of Joe Philbin releasing Chad Johnson in a very uncomfortable <laughs> situation. Um, God, I love the Gruden Hard Knocks episodes that I've watched. But I, I'm, I'm hopeful that this really comes off really well and gives us a glimpse of the challenges that these coaches are facing. Yeah, I think that, you know, why I love Hard Knocks so much is other than the fact that I just love football more than most things in life. Um, it takes me back to practice when I was playing in high school. It brought me back to two-a-days in August where 
you know, the first four hours of the day, we do offense. The second four hours of the day, we do defense. And in between, we'd eat the orange slices and we'd stretch. And it just brings me back to those days when I was in my prime. And, like, the coach is yelling at you for doing your 17th rep on the same thing wrong. But, like, you thought it was mindless, but it really was just muscle memory and something that you could easily recognize in the game that actually mattered more than you realize. Like, that sort of thing at the highest level possible, you kind of appreciate that these guys still put in that work that you felt was so minuscule when you were younger. I really appreciate that detail. Things I want to see this year, though, like I, like I said, I mean, there's no preseason. You can't train typically like you normally train. This is going to be so much different than we've ever seen uh, before. So I just want to see how coaches are kind of handling this. I want to see how players are handling this. I kind of want to hear about what the players have gone through in the last five months because the rest of the world, you know, we've been quarantined in our house for the last five months, kind of wondering when this is going to get all over with. I want to know if they're optimistic about this season, if they think that the season is going to continue on without a hitch. Um, there, I want to see, you know, maybe some testing protocols. Like, it, it, does the NFL have their shit together with this? Because whether I, I can become very optimistic about the season if I could tell at Hard Knocks that they have this stuff kind of in line here. Um, as far as players go, uh, life without Phillip Rivers for the Chargers. I really want to see um, the quarterback room for the Chargers. I want to see Justin Herbert. I, this is also the second hard knock season in the last three years that had Tyrod Taylor coming into a season as the starter uh, with a rookie quarterback there. He was obviously on the Browns and got benched in week three to the Baker Mayfield. So I want to see that <laughs> Tyrod Taylor. Maybe he has some previous hard knock experience now that he can talk about. Um, I want to see, you know, Aaron Donald. I just, there was, I just always remember the clip from 2015 with the Houston Texans, JJ Watt, just being an absolute animal. Um, and I just feel like Aaron Donald is going to give us something where we're just, we're not the same species. And I, I always admire that about these athletes where like, I will never be able to do what you do. And that's why I love watching you do it. And I respect you guys so much. Aaron Donald is very much that guy for me. There's always a couple players who are outspoken, who are big personalities. To me, that's going to be Jalen Ramsey, most likely. You know, he's obviously a loudmouth corner who had the old, had the list where he like someone asked him about every quarterback in the league, and he would say trash or he's good or he's all right or he's not better than me. Like so, he's gonna he's gonna bring some entertainment value. I feel like, and I'm weird like this, but the aesthetics matter to me. Both of these teams have new uniforms. I kind of want to see some uniform action. Uh, I love the Charger powder blues. The new Rams uniforms don't look great in photographs, so I want to see those in action if I can. Um, look, you gotta you gotta like what you see. At the end of the day, like the Bucks had those awful uniforms for years, so I hated watching Bucks games. Um, but I like the uniforms, and these teams are sharing a new stadium. There's not going to be any fans at those stadium at this new stadium, but I want to see some shots of this place because this place I've heard is top of the line, and you're going to have WrestleManias there, and you're going to have all kinds of things there, Super Bowl wise. So I want to get a good look at the stadium here. Um, I know that's a lot to take in there, but I hope everyone is kind of excited for Hard Knocks. I just got myself excited for Hard Knocks, uh, which is tonight at 9 o'clock on HBO. You made a quick reference, Matt, that you had a favorite – you had a memory of Chad Johnson getting kicked off the team in Miami. What would you say your favorite Hard Knocks season is? You know, it's interesting that you bring it this up because I am – the thing that I'm looking forward to, and it kind of references back to the Rams, 2016, I remember Jared Goff not even being able to take a snap under center under Jeff Fisher. I am so excited. I think one of the first things I'm going to do is compare 2016 to 2020 Jared Goff. So 
just for that purpose, I will say, I think last year was pretty high up there for me with Antonio Brown, the whole mm -hmm. foot frozen saga. And then also I think there was a Bengals season with Marvin Lewis that I found kind mm -hmm. of hysterical. So, and then there's, I also forgot about the Baker Mayfield and um, Hugh Jackson saga. Mm -hmm. So to say a favorite season, each season kind of has their own stupid drama. Uh, I'm going to say it's a tie for first. 2016 Jeff Fisher Rams, and then the 2018 Cleveland Browns with Hugh Jackson and Baker Mayfield. Hey Baker, I just wanted to call you in here and let you know that you won the start or the second string quarterback job, and Baker's just sitting there like, "What the fuck, man?" Yeah, and that's when he goes like he goes over to Freddie Kitchens to get a play call, and he walks away. He's like, "This guy's an idiot." Like he just doesn't respect Freddie Kitchens at all. And then you had uh, I think it was Frank Wiley, the offensive line coach, doing the hut. His gut would like hit him in the chin. It was so big. That's one of the more iconic memories from that season too. Um, I love the Buck season from a couple years ago too because Jameis Winston single handedly carried that for me. Um, I love Jameis Winston probably more than most people do, but. I kind of appreciate him at the same time because the way he spoke about his upbringing and how he was raised, like it made you appreciate everything that you had. And I think that we, we kind of see a lot of these backgrounds and how hard these guys work to even get to that point. Cause it's not a joke making it to an NFL training camp and it's not guaranteed you're going to make the team. So seeing how hard working jobs, like I just, uh, for favorite season wise about the Ravens the first season in 2001 uh, with Ray Lewis um, I mean they they had so many great players and they used to bust on Todd Heap a lot because he was a rookie tight end and <laughs> I remember their impressions that these and Ed Reed after they won a Super Bowl too so they were you know on their high horse for sure that Bengals season was super interesting I mean that was the child please you know Chad Johnson kind of carried that um, and then I always think about the Jets uh, what better coach for bulletin board material than Rex Ryan uh, I remember him just being a better leader than I initially thought. I think I, I looked at him the same way as Gruden, where I don't exactly take him that seriously, but he really does command a room in a certain way. So, uh, and, and the Antonio Cromartie uh, situation, he only had seven kids back then. He did since. <laughs> so I, they, they busted his chops about the children. Um, and I'll make an honorable mention to the 2015 Texans, only because Vince Wolfwork showed up to camp wearing overalls. Uh, and nothing else. Uh, so uh, I will always remember Vince Wolfork doing that. Uh, shout out to Vince Wolfork. But I'm excited for Hard Knocks. Uh, it give us something to talk about leading up to the season too, right, Matt? Absolutely. And, you know, content is big right now. Obviously, I can only watch so many um, people gaga over Mr. Trubisky's physique, which I'm not sure if you've seen it yet, Randy, but – if if Mitch ever needs a second job, professional wrestling may be in his future. I don't know what they're going to call him. You know, hopefully not really Mitch the Dumpster Trubisky. But, you know, I, I you can only look at so many <laughs> hype videos and you can only do so many things. And I just hope, I just hope that we get some good football content other than the hype videos, which a lot of people in our football life group and even our chats know that I hate hype videos. There's nothing more than I hate than a hype video because I'm going to reference last year's bears. They had this big celebration you know, basically they were crowning themselves before they even played a game and it blew up mm -hmm. in their face with an eight and eight season. So I'm ready for some football talks some meat and potatoes. Yeah. I think we all are looking forward to that. Uh, as far as physiques goes, 
uh, Daniel Jones actually kind of looks like a man too. It doesn't look like a little twig anymore. So I've seen Giants fans get a little excited about uh, the bulk up of Daniel Jones as well. So I understand that. Yeah, I'm just not sure if I should but be getting excited. Very- yeah, I- I'm sorry, Randy. You're cutting out there for a second. I'm just not sure if a quarterback's physique is something that we should be getting so excited over. It's kind of worrisome. Hard knocks? I mean, hard knocks is going to happen regardless. So. Well, no, no, just the quarterback's physiques, Daniel Jones and Mitch Trubisky. Uh, okay. I, I, I'm gotcha. not sure if I want my quarterbacks looking like DK Metcalf. Well, that's true. Uh, and as the Yankees know with Giancarlo Stanton, it doesn't matter what you look like. It matters what you stretch as long as you're healthy. So, uh, <laughs> as long as, I don't care if you're skinny as long as you're healthy. Uh, I think the Giants knew that with Eli Manning all these years. All right, so time to get a little interesting here. A couple of weeks ago, the NFL released their top 100 list, which is voted on by the players based on their 2019 season. And kind of bad uh, if you look at it as a whole. Uh, I'm just going to go through here and list some names that are on here that uh, probably shouldn't be on here at all, but uh, nonetheless are. First one that I see that I don't like is Josh Allen, Bills quarterback at number 87, Matt. Uh, I assume you agree with that as well, right? It's a complete and utter joke. The guy couldn't hit a wide receiver that was wide open within 25 yards. I, I hate I, – I don't want to get into Josh Allen, but yeah. Yeah, not a top 100 player to me. Uh, neither is DK Metcalf, who comes in at number 81, which was a surprise to me. I think that's more fear. that They just don't want him beating their ass just because of how huge he is. <laughs> Um, I'm not surprised he's on the list, but kind of low. Miles Garrett at number 80, right? Pretty low. I, I think the suspension really hurt the accumulation of stats he would have put up. So I can understand him. I, I think he deserves to be there, but that number feels right to me. We got two quarterbacks here. Um, one is 58, the other is 68, and Kirk Cousins and Ryan Tannehill. Kind of questionable, get the, right? Get the fuck out of here with that garbage. It, it, yeah. the, the day Kirk Cousins and Ryan Tannehill are top 100 players in the NFL, I'll – like, seriously, I don't know who the hell votes on this shit, but seriously, those two ass clowns being in the top 100 of anything other than being the top 100 worst players in the NFL, <laughs> I can't believe that shit. Uh, <laughs> and then we have um, – which is surprising to me because it's based on 2019. Todd Gurley at 51. It doesn't, I mean, this 2018, I get it, but not 2019, right? I mean, the guy doesn't have two knees that work properly. I mean, he's, his ACLs are literally held together by rubber bands now. The guy, when he was at his peak, he was one of the best running backs in the NFL. This is kind of like that career achievement award, it feels like. The players are just sending him off, you know, giving him that Viking funeral. They're going to start shooting arrows as he's floating on that piece of wood, lighting it on fire. That It's done with Todd Gurley being anywhere near this top 100 list as a joke. Yeah. Um, I just want to point out Tom Brady is 14, Drew Brees is 12. That is sort of like a career achievement award to me, but I don't feel like based on their 2019, they should be that high on the list, if that, on the list at all. I'm okay with Tom Brady being 14th as long as they give him a camcorder as his prize. Just <laughs> rub that shit in. Tom Brady being on this list at number 14, Drew Brees being at 12, whatever. I, I don't even care about Drew Brees. I'm more pissed at Tom Brady's even sniffing the top 25. If you want to put him between 50 and 75, do it. But the, 
man, why the players suck up to Tom Brady still is beyond me. He cheated all of you, and you're dumb enough to still think, oh, you know what? Let's go ahead and put the great Tom Brady at 14. Fuck that guy. <laughs> uh, as our Leon Tompkins would say, fuck 12, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. I still have a ton of respect for uh, Mr. Brady, but I <laughs> just love the rant. <laughs> um, all right. I just want to read off the top 10 here, uh, which is the player's top 10, and then we'll get into our top 10s. Starting at number 10, um, they have Titans running back Derrick Henry. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know if you want to react. You can, you can if you want to interrupt me. Go ahead. No, I'm, uh, Number I'm nine, sorry. they have the Patriots corner, Stephon Gilmore, one defensive player of the year. That makes sense to me. DeAndre Hopkins, Texans wide receiver. Now the Cardinals wide receiver at number eight. George Kittle, no argument for me at number seven. Christian McCaffrey, Panthers running back at number six. Michael Thomas, Saints wide receiver at five. Pretty high if you ask me. Um, This one is the biggest joke of them all, which is Patrick Mahomes, (laughs) uh, Super Bowl MVP, (laughs) the best quarterback in the NFL at number four. Uh, Aaron Donald, number three. Russell Wilson, number two. And reigning defending undisputed NFL MVP, Lamar Jackson at number one. Uh, Shout out to Paul Hammond on my introduction for him there. Um, But, you know, we're going to get into our top 10 here because we kind of thought that list was a little bit of a joke. Um, (laughs) I, I just don't understand what the players vote on here or what they're looking at. Um, But first I I just want to get your quick thoughts on the players top 10 before we get into ours. I just, I, I think it's a joke. I, I would love to know how they vote. So some of the guys I agree with, I, to me, it, it really is bothersome that they don't give offensive linemen more love and that they don't show the appreciation towards defense as I believe they should. It's great that Aaron Donald is that high up on the list, but Jesus Christ, there's more really, really good defensive players can we give those guys some love? Like, where's the Jamal Adams? You know, great that Stephen Gilmore's there. Cleo Mack not being in the top 10 is a joke to me. I think if you take a look at his body of work, and then some of the defensive linemen, how Joey Bosa's not in the top 10, that's fucking criminal. Yeah, it's, I mean, Aaron Donald, obviously, I think is the best defensive lineman. You know, overall, I think he's the most complete total package, so I get it. But there is a lack of respect for other players on defense in general. Jamal Adams all the way back at 27, by the way, which, I mean, he's the best safety in the sport. He should probably be top 20, maybe ahead of one of those quarterbacks. Um, uh, So I'll I'll get into it here. I'll start us off at my number 10. We're going to go 10 to one with our top 10. And if you're in the comment section or you're watching along, feel free to comment and tell us your top 10 if you want. Uh, You know, we'll happily read them on air. But number 10 for me, I'm not the biggest fan of this guy, but his numbers are hard to dispute. It's uh, Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas. He had last year 149 catches for 1,725 yards and nine receiving touchdowns. I, I just don't, you know, love – I think he's, a, you know, a possession receiver who plays in the dome with Drew Brees. So I think, I think that his talent level is a little eh, but you can't argue with the production. So I have Michael Thomas at 10. What about you, Matt? I got two players. I got 10A and 10B. Um, 10B, I'm going George Kittle. You know, I, I think it's a tight end. He has such a huge impact on the 49ers offense. And then 10A is Khalil Mack. Um, very fringy. I, I kind of struggled internally with that when I was looking at it. But it's still Khalil Mack. Still had a huge impact. Teams don't want to go near him. He still gets double teamed and triple teamed. 
definitely changes a game plan for an offense. So I think he deserves to be 10A. I knew once you said, you know, Khalil Mack here would be top 10, then there was no way we were going through this list without him in the top 10. So uh, <laughs> Khalil Mack, obviously one of the best players in the league. I have no issue with that. Um, certainly a top three pass rusher, if not the best pass rusher, which, you know, it can be debated in semantics at this point. Uh, I think everyone realizes how great of a player he is. Um, and number nine, which I, I could not believe he wasn't in the top 10, and I'm just going to look up quick where he was on the list, so I'm not mistaken. Uh, but he's an offensive lineman. is the guy I wish he was on the Giants. It's Quentin Nelson. Um, he is the best offensive lineman in the sport. He completely has changed the Indianapolis Colts, if you ask me. He is going to – I mean, Philip Rivers is going to love playing behind this guy. His passion for the game um, is – you can see it just by watching the tape on silent. You, he pancakes linebackers like they, you know, assaulted his mother. Uh, I, I love the way Quentin Nelson plays the game. He is the best interior, uh, you know, offensive lineman, probably the best offensive lineman, period, in the entire sport. So uh, I'm surprised. But they have Quentin Nelson at number 29 on this list. Uh, completely disrespectful if you ask me, but uh, I have him at nine. Who do you have at nine? I took Derrick Henry at nine. I, I, I do believe a running back deserves to be recognized on this list. And what Derrick Henry brings to the table is he's a very violent runner. He runs hard. He gets the yards. Maybe two years from now, he's not even a blip on this list. But I think for now, I really like Derrick Henry and he deserves a spot. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at the, he had like, what well, I believe when we talked about his contract, 30% of the team's total offense. Um, he was certainly effective in the last two years. I'm not going to dispute that. So uh, I, I don't hate the Derrick Henry pick. I think a lot of that has to do with his team, but you know, I'm not going to argue that uh, necessarily because at number eight, I have a running back, not Derrick Henry, but I have a different running back and it's Christian McCaffrey of the Carolina Panthers. Um, I might be biased on this because I won my very first fantasy football championship in the uh, last season. And part of it was because I had Christian McCaffrey who I believe had over 2000 all purpose yards. I'm trying to get his pro reference pro, pro football reference page to load, but you know, between his receiving stats and his rushing stats, he's the entire Panthers offense and was the only reason really to watch Carolina from week in week out. I think he's the best running back in the NFL right now. Um, and I love watching him play. So I have Christian McCaffrey at number eight. What about you? I have a guy that you had at nine, Quentin Nelson. How he is not in the top ten, it shows me that you're, you're not asking the players the right questions. Yes, we show everyone that gets the ball, but if you watch line play, how you cannot love Quentin Nelson is beyond me. We talked about it. He was a surefire Hall of Famer when he was drafted. That was the one guy in that draft that you knew unequivocally was going to get the gold jacket. And him going two, or him even going number one, which was never going to happen, wouldn't have shocked me. He, he deserves the accolades, and he is the eighth best player in the NFL. Yeah, obviously, you know, we talked about it. I mean, if you wanted that, that gold jacket guy in 2018, you needed to pick uh, Quentin Nelson. He's, he's insane. Uh, offensive linemen never get the respect that they deserve, unfortunately. Um, but we're going to give some offensive line respect. We love the hog mollies here on the Audible. So we love Quentin Nelson, especially. I'm just going to point out of some of Christian McCaffrey's stats that finally popped up for me. He had 1,300 uh, rushing yards last year with 15 rushing touchdowns. Uh, he had 116 catches for 1,000 yards and four receiving touchdowns. I mean, he, he had a hell of a year with uh, Kyle Allen, you know, being the quarterback for a lot of it. So uh, Christian McCaffrey, I think, is certainly deserving there. So at number seven for me, and a guy that they had a 15 on the – on the top 100 list, 
which was the sack leader in 2019 with 19 sacks of the Arizona Cardinals, is Chandler Jones. I didn't get the chance to talk about him much in the NFC East West week because I wasn't here last week. But I love Chandler Jones. I mean, the impact he had on that defensive line, he single-handedly won games for them, especially against the Giants. He, he had six sacks alone against the Giants. I mean, this guy, when you lead the NFL in sacks, you deserve recognition. You deserve to be on this list, if you ask me. So I'm going Chandler Jones to the Cardinals at seven. I, I, I actually love that pick. And I feel kind of bad that I left Chandler Jones off my top ten list. I kind of look at it in totality of the players I would want for 2020. I love Chandler Jones, definitely worthy of being on this list, but I had to go at number seven with Stephon Gilmore. I think having a shutdown corner, it can't be overrated. Like you said, defensive player of the year, definitely deserves all the accolades, really is one of those last few shutdown corners in the NFL. So I went Gilmore seven. Yeah, and at six, I have Stephon Gilmore. I mean, he, like I can't say it enough. The one defensive player of the year is a corner. He was the first secondary player that won defensive player of the year since Troy Palomalu, I think. So if you look at the Patriots defense, it's based on the dominance of that secondary and it goes no further than Stephon Gilmore's ability to take away the other team's best player uh, or best outside threat, at least. So uh, number six for you, Matt. I am shocked. And I don't even know where Joey Bosa ended up, but I had Joey Bosa number six, very easily could have won an NFL defensive player of the year along with NFL, you know, defensive rookie of the year. He was everything and more that was advertised. I loved Bosa. And how he's not on the top 10 is just beyond me. Do you have where he was ranked at, Randy? Yeah, you're going to get mad because Joey Bosa was at 34. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? I mean, turn on the damn tape. I mean, this guy wrecks offense. He stops the run game. He disrupts the passing game. He's, he's the total package of a defensive end. Uh, that's stupid. Um, Joey, Joey's brother, Nick Bosa, the 49ers, is 17th which I love Nick Bosa, but I'm not sure he's better than Joey yet. Yeah, I, I think I'm getting the Bosa brothers confused. Nick Bosa plays for the 49ers then, right? Yes. Okay, I meant Nick Joey Bosa. Bosa plays for the, okay, Nick Bosa 17. Yeah, I'm going Nick Bosa number six. I'm sorry, I didn't mean Joey. I'm getting my Bosa's confused. I love both the Bosa's. They're both great. <laughs> They're both great players. I, I mean, I don't blame you for thinking Joey's a great player. I, I obviously think he's great. They think he's great. But Nick Bosa, I think because he only – he was a rookie, he only had nine – oh, is he a rookie or is he second year? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. But he had nine sacks on the season. So maybe, you know, maybe in the next year it will be in the top ten. He should have been top ten this year, even as a rookie. He was that dominant. Yeah, uh, I love Nick Bosa. I contemplated putting him in my top ten. Um, all right, number five. This is probably where I'm going to get some heat. But uh, I have the reigning, defending, undisputed <laughs> – NFL MVP Lamar Jackson here at number five. Uh, I love you, Lamar. He also helped me win my very first fantasy football championship last year. I mean, his rushing ability and his development from year one to year two cannot be understated. I just think I, I think the world of the four guys I put ahead of him. So it's not really a knock on him. It's just a credit to the guys ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, I don't have an issue with Lamar Jackson at five. Um, definitely MVP worthy. He deserves all the accolades. But for number five, and I know you didn't like Michael Thomas there, but to me, he, what he does, the reliability, just knowing that you can throw the football to the guy and he's going to catch it is just so valuable to that team. And really, he was the best offensive player on the Saints. A lot of people thought Alvin Kamara was going to be the guy to carry that offense. And then you take a look mm -hmm. at Drew Brees, who really kind of fell off. If Michael Thomas wasn't there, Drew Brees would have been awful. 
for him. And that, that might have been the end of Drew Brees' career. So for that very reason, I, Michael Thomas deserves to be on this list, and he deserves to be number five. Yeah, I mean, if you look at numbers-wise, there's no receiver even close to him. So I ha- he's got to be the one receiver representative in the top ten for me. Um, you know, I don't love the player as much as everyone else does, but you can't argue with production at the end of the day. Uh, he has value to that team, and I have, you know, I, don't, I think he's a little bit too high, but I, I don't really, at the end of the day, it's your list, and it's that uh, players feel the same way. So I'm probably in the minority there. Uh, number four, and these are, like I said, the four guys I think the world of and had the best 2019 seasons. Um, so I'm going to go George Kittle. Uh, and it's not always numbers-based. It's a lot of impact on team. Uh, I think if you take George Kittle off the 49ers, they do not make the Super Bowl, and they struggle a lot more in the playoffs without George Kittle because he is the heart and soul of that entire offense. And I I think the world of the guy, I think he's the best tight end of football. Just so for numbers purposes, I'll give you, he had 85 catches for almost 1,100 yards and five touchdowns. But when you look at the blocking scheme and the chain-moving ability and just have been a guy that Jimmy G could trust. Uh, I don't think that can be understated. So I have George Kittle at number four. Yeah, I, I love the pick at Kittle with, at number four. I think what a lot of people don't realize is just scheme-wise, for a defense, when you have a tight end that can block and catch, it's so hard to have that predictability. Whereas a guy like Jimmy Graham, you knew when Jimmy Graham was coming into the game, it's definitely a pass. You know, yeah. he, he was piss poor at run blocking a lot like Greg Olson, so much so that Greg Olson often got split out, you know, into the slot a lot of times yeah. when he played his first few years with the Bears. So with Kittle being able to stay in line and really open up that play action passing, that values immense. So I don't have an issue with Kittle at four. Obviously, I had Kittle at 10 along with Cleo Mack. But for number four, I went with Russell Wilson. I, I think Russell really carries the Seattle team. Granted, I love Tyler Lockett, but Tyler Lockett's not Tyler Lockett without Russell Wilson. And this is kind of where my value on wide receivers, I knock wide receivers down. I know DeAndre Hopkins on, you know, a lot of people's top 10. I know um, Julio Jones has been on the top 10, but you really need that other component. Defensive mm-hmm. players, you can be great on the defensive line and still affect players or still affect the game. Russell Wilson can still affect the game with his legs and his throwing, so that's why I think Russell Wilson's so valuable for he really carries a lot of that Seattle offense. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Unlimited uh, is going to make an appearance uh, in a little bit on my list, but the second best quarterback in the NFL, if you ask me, so uh, you have no argument from me. Uh, Number three, um, and you made a little bit of a rant about him before, but it's Aaron Donald. I think Aaron Donald is without question the best defensive lineman in the sport. Uh, I don't think that he lacks a pass rush despite being an interior defensive lineman, but I also think he can be split out wide and pass rush from the outside. Um, I know his size is a little bit of a concern, but he's, you know, great run stuffer. He's a great pass rusher. Overall, a huge presence on the defensive line for the Rams. Uh, Aaron Donald, number three for me. Uh, I don't think that's even a debate. Yeah, I have Aaron Donald at 3-2 for all the reasons that you listed. I think he impacts the game so much, and anytime that you – a lot of times what you see what teams will do is they'll, you know, double team the interior lineman and then, you know, they call it kiss. But basically, you know, you're going to chip the defensive tackle and then go get a linebacker. Teams can't do that with Aaron Donald. You have to double team him or even triple team him with the running back almost every single play. And it really prevents teams from getting that running back to go out into the flat but his impact is so huge on that Rams defense. Mm-hmm. It speeds up the timing on all the routes. Really, you can't get a lot of deep routes developed because of Aaron Donald. So 
three. Yeah, I think he's the har- I think he's the hardest guy to block. Uh, period. You know, I don't think that there's any guy that causes more issues than he does. Um, and you know, good for the Rams for having an elite player on their team. Uh, number two for me, Mr. Unlimited himself, Russell Wilson, uh, the, uh, the second best quarterback in the NFL. I don't think that is even a debate. I think you know he consistently drags you know mediocre offensive weapons, mediocre offensive lines, and in the last few years. Um, you know, defenses that leave left more to be desired uh, to playoff, you know, rounds and that they shouldn't even make it to. So Russell Wilson never gets the credit that he deserves, I don't think. But at the end of the day, he is bar none the second best quarterback in the NFL. And that's why I have him at number two. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Russell Wilson, but I took a different quarterback at number two. He, he has to be on this list, and that's Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved Lamar's ability. When he breaks contain, the hardest person to bring down in the entire NFL. Running backs, wide receivers, quarterbacks, he is immensely talented. So not only do you have to spy him with one guy, but you have to spy him with two. So I would want to see that improvement, and I know Baltimore geared their offense towards him, but he had such a magnificent year, and I feel guilty for doing this. If he Realistically, I think he should be four behind Aaron Donald and Russell Wilson, but just based off on last year alone, I'm giving Lamar Jackson the number two spot. Yeah, I think that when you win MVP, it has a lot of value here. Um, by the definition of MVP, um, you are the most valuable player. Oftentimes, you are the best player in the league that year. So if you have him one or two, ultimately, I don't know how anyone can be mad at that. He won MVP of the league. He had the best year. So I'm not going to argue with you about that. I just you know, felt the other guys deserve spots higher. <clears throat> now, number one, I think it's going to be really controversial. I think we're going to make a lot of people upset. Uh, I, I just think that we're going to get catch a lot of heat for this one. But, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes, pretty good at football. And uh, he's number one for both of us. And we've talked a lot about him in the offseason. So, honestly, Matt, I don't really know what else I can say about the guy other than he is by far the best player in football, right? To me, for anyone to go and say that – Patrick Mahomes is the third, fourth, fifth best player. One, you don't like football, and you have an, you don't like the Chiefs. Maybe you're a Raiders fan. Maybe you're a Broncos fan. Maybe you're a Chargers fan. Maybe you're a 49ers <laughs> fan that's bitter because your team decided to lose the game to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Randy, exactly what you said. What else do we need to say about the best player in football? He is undoubtedly – the person that makes you that makes defensive coordinators wake up in cold sweats at night. He changes everything. Just when you think you have coverage on all the wide receivers, there's Patrick Mahomes throwing the football where only the wide receiver can catch the football. Breaking down his tape has been such a joy over the past two years. And watching him work, how you cannot come away saying that this guy's the best player in all the football. I don't know what you're watching. Yeah, I mean, there are many years where Brady's probably at the top of this list, and you know, you can argue, like, yeah, he's the most accomplished player, and he had a great year last year, but is he ever the most talented player in the league? Probably not. Um, I think this is the these are the years now where we get the best player in the league who is the most talented player in the league who will dominate the league for the next decade. So we're going to see Pat Mahomes at the top of this list a lot. I am shocked we didn't see him at the top of the list this year, but he's at the top of our list, and I don't think that comes to a surprise to anyone. Matt, I really enjoyed doing that exercise with you. Uh, did you like making your own top 10? 
Yeah, you know, I do, but there's guys that always feel bad for leaving off, like DeAndre Hopkins, Chandler Jones, and, you know, I, there's a lot of guys. OBJ, who is probably more flash than um, substance at this point. But I, I take a look at a lot of guys, like the hog mollies on the interior. I, I love defensive line play. Akeem Hicks, who I always feel like never gets the rub that he deserves. And it showed how big of a loss he was with the Bears when he got injured. Mm. So – the defensive line, DeForest Buckner, didn't even get on DeForest Buckner and how important he was. And I you know I trashed Eric Armstead. I don't think he's worthy of that huge contract. I think the 49ers shows the wrong guy. But even Eric Armstead deserves a lot of love. And Chan, or Chris Jones, Tyron Matthew. I mean, the list goes on. I, I really do feel defense gets such a bad play on this because they're not mm-hmm. the ones with the highlights every single game because they don't get the opportunity to touch the ball all the time. So. <coughs> I mean, I mean, a lot of the sport now caters to fantasy football and offense and even the rules now. So a lot of these guys are quarterbacks and receivers who, and maybe running backs who probably don't deserve to be on this list. And not a lot of the meat potatoes guys who do a lot of the dirty work that we don't see on a stat sheet or on a highlight, uh, on a highlight uh, package. So I understand what you're saying is frustrating for, you know, a lot of these guys who are elite at their jobs, who never will actually get the recognition that they deserve. Yep, absolutely. All right. This is going to do it for us here on the Audible here in Football Life. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Um, in our Life Group family, we do have other podcasts you do not know. That's why I want you to cross on over to Ball is Life tomorrow, where they don't job to nobody, Matt. That's because they are doing a special crossover episode with the guys over at Wrestling Life's Pod Jobbers. They are going to do a special episode that will discuss basketball and some wrestling topics and be a dynamic fatal four-way that will discuss wrestling factions and rivalries in basketball and kind of connect the two and I'm going to be a part of it I'm pulling double duty this week Matt I'm very excited because I didn't get to be on the show last week I'm going to hop on the show I'm not totally invested in wrestling right now completely but I'm loving the NBA right now and I love wrestling history so I'm excited to talk about that and the most the topic that never gets discussed we're going to talk touch on and that's the mj lebron debate i mean you you, no one ever talks about who's better mj lebron we're gonna finally get to the bottom of it so you know you're not gonna want to miss this tomorrow in ball is life on the step back so shout out to uh leon tompkins and jacob anthony moses and all those guys over in wrestling life who do pod jobbers jake schwartz uh it's gonna be a killer show tomorrow matt are you excited for that show I am, and I do want to apologize to Jake Schwartz. We did have him scheduled for the show this evening, but we just ran out of time. Oh, well, you know, that is poor planning on our part. Uh, we greatly apologize. Uh, we'll have to get Jake on here uh, eventually. We'll talk Tom Brady. You two can battle it out about a whole episode on Tom Brady, uh, and we can talk a little bit of wrestling with him as well because they do a great job over there. Uh, if, you're, if you're in this group and you're enjoying our show, be sure to hop over to Wrestling Life and check them out, and be sure to go over to Ball is Life and check them out. I really like what the NBA has going on right now, so be sure to check those guys out for sure. But it's time to say goodbye. Matt, do you have any parting words for the audience? Enjoy what we have. Tune into Hard Knocks. Tune into the Step Back. Tune into Dong City. Sports are here. They, they may not, but they may not be what we expect right now. As a White Sox fan, I'm dealing with some struggles, but <laughs> in, enjoy it. Watch some sports. It's a great release. Yes, we went so many months and so many days without live sports. Uh, just take it all in as much as you can, because you never know when it's going to get taken away again. So. 
thank you so much for joining us. If you're joining us live on Facebook, if you're watching us on YouTube, if you're checking us out on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, we greatly appreciate the support no matter where or how you are listening. We greatly appreciate it. So uh, on behalf of Matt Bushnell and the Audible here on Football Life, I'm Randy Hammond saying goodbye and stay safe.